0: Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Good to have all of you with us. And uh, we are in 2 Kings, the uh, 19th chapter. Now, uh, we're reading about King Hezekiah. After all the wicked, 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 wicked kings that we've been talking about, especially all the kings of Israel and a lot of them, Judah as well, were just a mess, all of a sudden comes along King Hezekiah. And he gets it right. He's the one who really starts honoring God and starts. Uh, and, and the Bible says there wasn't any king as good as him since David. Okay, or since, and I mean, so, so this guy was like he really had it together. They're in a major crisis. Um, Sennacherib, this uh, king of Assyria, is threatening Jerusalem, and they've surrounded. You know, they're they're, they're ready to have the assault on the uh, city. And they came out and they started, you know, basically egging them on, saying, you might as well surrender. It's doomed. You don't stand a chance. So what they did is they went and they, they threw themselves out to God and, and went to uh, Isaiah the prophet. This is where we first got introduced to Isaiah the prophet, uh, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And uh, they were saying, you know, Isaiah, you know, what do we do? What does God want us to do? So we'll back up a little bit here. Chapter five. Um, I'm sorry, chapter five, chapter 19, verse five. Uh, When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid of what you've heard, those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, remember that guy of his coming out and egging him on and saying, don't trust God, nobody can withstand us, um, he says, I am going to put such a spirit in him, when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down with the sword. So that's basically the word of God says, listen, don't worry about him. He's going to hear a report and he's going to leave anyway. And then he's going to get cut down by the sword. So uh, jumping down to verse 9. Now all of a sudden, now Sennacherib receives a report that Terechah, the Cushite king of Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. So uh, he again sent messengers to Hezekiah With this word saying, say to Hezekiah king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to you. In other words, he's basically saying, look, I got to run, but don't you think God's going to protect you? I'm coming back. I'm going to kick your butt. I just got to deal with this issue. Of course, he doesn't realize that God's the one who sent the issue up in the first place to just get him out of there is all it took. And uh, so he just pukes out all this threat, you know, against the people of God. And uh, so anyway, uh, down in verse uh, 14, Hezekiah receives this, this threat. Uh, he received the letter from the messengers and read it. And he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, uh, Has. Ins- Sent to insult the living God. It is true, O oh Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown... In other words, nobody's been able to stop these guys. And that's what they were saying. say said, look, don't trust your God because there's not been a God yet that can stop us. Because every nation has their own gods and stuff. So so he says, look, they, they have wasted on everybody. Of course, it says, he says in his prayer, he says, they have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. But they weren't gods. They're only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. You know... Hezekiah got it. These aren't real gods. So now, O Lord, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are God. Well, then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a messenger to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. And then if you read this, which I don't want to read, um, he goes into this thing in any... When Isaiah prophesied, and you can see it, you know, if, if you just kind of flip over uh, in your Bibles, just, just look at the book of Isaiah, and you'll see it's written out kind of like you see. It's very poetic. He would write, he kind of wrote in this poetic prose, and it's the way he talked and the way he wrote, and it, uh, uh, it's very interesting stuff. Uh, the book of Isaiah, again, he's a major prophet, has a lot of prophecies of the Messiah coming and a lot of, You know, when we, you know, Christmas time talk about for unto us a a child is born, unto us a son is given and all these prophecies all from Isaiah. I mean, he was like really a major guy, very poetic, but you can see that uh, in here. All of a sudden it goes into this prose and this kind of thing, which I don't want to read, but we will basically go to the very end of it. The point is in verse 34, God says this, I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Well, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men. Oh, gee, mama, that's a bunch of dead guys uh, in the Assyrian camp. So everybody goes to sleep. Nobody's worrying about anything. You know, and it's so funny because people, you know, they act like God is nothing and they're so arrogant and stuff. And God, you know, he can squish you like a bug, man. It's like, you know, just... Even as we're uh, doing the service, some of you guys watch this on video later, the, the other campuses and stuff, but there's big thunderstorms coming. People can't even handle storms, for heaven's sakes. They can't even, everybody's panicking. <laughs> and the radio, you know, they're just all, you know, the storms are coming, the storms are coming. And you can hear these guys, they get disappointed when these uh, alarms get lifted because they like panicking people, I think. And, uh, but anyway, they're just, you know, they just panic and everything, which is nothing we can do. And, and it's just a thunderstorm, for heaven's sakes. Much less God. How do you withstand God in your life? So anyway, God... So these guys, you know, they they hear this report. They start leaving. uh, Who knows how far they get. And then they go to, you know, shutting down for the night. They're all camping out. And that night, an angel of God goes out and just kills. (laughs) I don't say how it does it. Just with And just sucked all the brains out. I don't know. Who knows what happened? But they they died. 185,000 men. So when the rest of the guys got up the next morning... There were all these dead bodies. That's, that's discouraging. So, so, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Now one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisrach, Nisrach, weird names, his sons Adramelech and Sherazer, whatever, Cut him down with a sword, probably because they were mad for the names that he gave them. Uh, and then they escaped to the land of Ararat, Ararat, and another son with a weird name succeeded him as king. Very, very bizarre cultures back here. Where these, you're not going to be mad at your dad, but going around killing him. These guys would, family members would kill each other. It was brutal, ruthless, all this thing with these kings and stuff. Very, very strange. All right, so that's the end of... So anyway, after all these threats, all this (laughs) breathing, all these things and looking like a gigantic monster and and putting just total terror into the uh, people of Judah and and in Jerusalem, uh, at the end, nothing happened. These guys pull back, some plague hits them in the middle, a bunch of dead people, they go home and then the king dies at the hands of his own son. So that was the end of it. Uh, Now chapter 20, this is a real interesting Sorry, very fascinating. I find it fascinating. Now, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. I don't know what kind of illness he had. It doesn't say. It had something to do with a boil, which is kind of, ugh. Boils are gross, but boils that kill you are really gross. Anyway, he gets sick. He's at the point of death. I don't know what he had, but then the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, Went to him and said, This is what who the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Now, this is not good news. Okay? Can you imagine somebody comes a prophet and God sends you a message? You're gonna die. Get your will in order get everything you know go to legalzoom.com whatever and get everything all set up because you're gonna die it's over and he's been a great guy all this whole time so if you're not going to recover this is, this is it so then as a can what would you do in a situation like that i mean wouldn't you assume it's over right god said it's over god tells you you're doomed you're going to die and you know and everybody's gonna die at some point you know it wasn't like Something he was never going to escape, but uh, God sends his prophet, you're going to die, it's all over with. And you would think he would just yield and surrender to the will of God, right? But now what, this is what he does. He, he turns his face to the wall and he prays. He says, Lord, remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes and Hezekiah wept bitterly. So he basically is appealing to God to reconsider his sentence. Well, now, so Isaiah comes in, he prophesies this. He comes, goes, "Okay, uh, how you doing? You're going to die. See you later." So he leaves, and he's leaving. He's getting, he gets about to the middle court, and then the Lord comes to him. The word of the Lord speaks to him and says, "Hey, go back!" And tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. And I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. So Isaiah goes all this way because God says, go tell him he's going to die. He gets there. Okay, you're going to die. Have a good day. And he doesn't even get out of the building. And God says, go back to him. He's going to live. It's like, what? (laughs) Why did you send me here? But what happens is Hezekiah changes God's mind. Now, think about that. Changes God's way. Now, now, why this is significant? Because this has a lot to do with the power of prayer. And I'm absolutely convinced. Seriously, I don't think, the reason why most of us don't pray, I don't think we get it. I just don't think we get it. I don't think we really understand what's at stake when we pray. Because there's this thinking, uh, you know, in, in the Christian community. You've heard me preach about this or teach about it many times as I've tried to fight this thinking that, you know, just everything is just the will of God. And just whatever God tells and, you know, can't do anything until God tells you what to do. And just, you know, everything is just, all of life is just waiting to hear what God says and then just do it. And that's, uh, while that's part of that's true. That's really not the whole picture. Jesus gave us commands that were very broad. And there's a lot of fill in the blanks. And we're supposed to fill in the blanks. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hello? That's what we're supposed to do. That's part of the calling of the church. There's all kinds of things that are very general uh, commands in the New Testament. And we're supposed to just go out and fulfill these things. There's always been this thinking since the day I became a Christian. I would hear people say, you know, don't do anything until God tells you what to do. And then, uh, you know, and some churches, I was part of, you know, a very spiritual church at the time. and, And some people were just, they turned into super spooks. And, and, and they, were, they were just God. You know, they get up in the morning and what, what are you going to do today? I don't know. I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do. You know, do I, do I get? You know, do I put on the blue socks or the green socks? Or you know, I'm just waiting for I'm trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm not exaggerating. People, you know, I just, you know, and, and people would, we'd get together and we'd, people would share their testimonies. And, yeah, you know, the other morning I just, I was, I was just praying, Lord, which way do you want me to go to work today, you know? Do you want me to go this path or the other path, you know? And they're just over-spiritualizing everything. And, and I went this way and this turned out this way. And I mean, to the point that it just got so spooky, they couldn't do anything to you. Just, you know, every step was like. Waiting for God to tell you to do the next step. The problem with this thinking, besides the fact that it's not biblical, you know, you're not Isaiah, by the way, people, you know, uh, is that it freezes people and they do nothing. You know how many people there are right now who claim the name of Christ, who don't do jack squat in the kingdom of God. And the reasoning is I'm waiting for God to tell me what to do. They don't volunteer. They don't do anything. They come to church. They sit on their blessed assurance, and they do absolutely nothing because they are waiting for God to tell me what to do. And it just freezes you, and it it, becomes—it's like the parable of the talents, where Jesus uh, told the parable about—you know—one guy gets five talents and ten talents, whatever the deal is. One guy gets one, and these guys went out and did something with it. The one guy—he was afraid. I I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to make a mistake. And in the parable, Jesus says the master comes back and really kicks the butt of the guy who didn't do anything. You know, well I, I, I knew you were a hard man. I, I didn't want to make a mistake. Says what a lot of people live. In. You know, I, don't, I don't want to miss God. I don't want to miss God. Look, you got to just get out there and start obeying what you know to do. And if God has a different plan for you, he's a big boy. He can tell you. He can speak into your life. But you've got to get moving. If you want the Holy Spirit to direct you, the Holy Spirit's more like the rudder on a ship. You know, I was out on my boat today before the rain came. And you know, runners don't do much unless the thing's moving. You know what I'm saying? You saw me the boat. You know what I'm talking about, right? Still running good, by the way. <laughs> but you know, if the boat's not moving and I go like this, nothing happens. You have to actually move. Once you start moving, then woo, something takes takes place by the way if you see me dri- driving run for your life because <laughs> I'm not very good at it I'm glad I fly airplanes better than that or I'd be dead but anyway so here I mean here's this incredible thing that what what it's showing here is that prayer actually directs the hand of God we are to get involved God is there he's waiting and what and and, and Here's what's really happening. This over-teaching of just what God's going to tell. tell, Freezes a bunch of Christians. They don't do anything waiting for God. And when in reality, God, the reason why God isn't moving as much is because he's waiting for people to to direct his hand. I'm telling you, it's totally different than a lot of people think. And if people will... That's why if you look at any uh, uh, historical view of of the church over the last 2,000 years, whenever there was great revival. And I mean, God was moving, and I mean, powerful stuff was happening. Uh, uh, Deb and I were over in, uh, in uh, you know, the East Coast, Boston, and stuff like that area. Back in the 1800s, middle 1800s, there was an, an amazing move of God back there. I mean, it's just it was incredible. Preachers would uh, uh, come, and uh, I was reading the kind of one preacher, he said, he just walked into the place, and he just looked at the lady behind the counter. It was in a factory. And all of a sudden, he, he says, she just started shaking and she fell on the ground crying out to God. And pretty soon the entire factory shut down. Because everybody just fell on their knees crying out to God to forgive them of their sins. And he hadn't said a word. He just walked in because the power of God was so much. Was it Nantucket Island or whatever it is? That they said that there was such revival on the side. That when the ships would come passing by, anywhere near that island, the soldier, the sailors Would start falling on their faces, crying out to God because they felt so guilty for their sins, and no one had said anything to them. And they would pull into the port, into the place, and come into the churches for revival and experience the power of God. I mean, when you read, I mean, holy cow! You know, we got to beg and plead to get people in the church. You know, they sit there staring at us half the time. You know, these people. I mean, they would just look at you, and man, the power of God would touch their hearts and lives. And you think, wow, how come that doesn't happen today? But if you look at the history of it, this was all preceded by prayer. These were people who prayed. In fact, um, the whole East Coast during that time would pretty much shut down at noon for an hour as people would go into public places just to pray. Every church was full. Uh, every uh, public uh, building was full. Uh, fire stations. I mean, everything. They, they would just shut down because, that, I mean, that many people would come and just pray and ask God for uh, you know, to move in their lives and move. And then from that comes this incredible move of God. So what we do today, hundred and some years later, is just the, completely the opposite. Instead of getting active and praying and asking God to move, too many people have this idea that, well, just God's going to, I'll just wait for God to tell us what to do. And when in reality, God isn't moving because I think he's waiting for us to get involved in the kingdom, to pray, ask him to move. Ask him to do things in people's lives, and and I think the reason why most people don't pray, you know, you know, obviously you guys here are, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, as you look around, you can see most of the people in church aren't here. They don't think in these terms. They just, they're much more passive. And if they knew that God, you know, because everything to them is just well, you know, it must just be God's will. Everything must be God's will. You know, I kind of talked about that Sunday. You know, somebody crashes. Well, it must have been God's will. Well, you don't know that. You know, not everything is God's will. And I think if we just understood, man, that God, that the power that we have in prayer to move the hand of God is absolutely stunning and amazing. And the reason we don't pray more is I think we just don't get it. And if anything, I would encourage you guys, just pray. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord, start to open my eyes. Help me to see and become aware of the power of prayer in my life. And just ask the Holy Spirit to me, be, Because I think once that starts happening, the motivation to pray kicks in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, is it when you start realizing the power that is there, I think a lot of times we don't pray because we don't think there's much power there. And it's just a matter of, you know, just kind of wait and see what God's going to do kind of thing. So anyway, here's a great example. And there are many other examples of this, by the way, in the Bible, where God says he's going to do something and then someone prayers, prays and God does the exact opposite. I mean, it's fascinating. Why does that show? It just shows the power of prayer. God listens to people when they pray. You know, now obviously you've got to be in a good place when you pray, but I mean, the, you know, these guys would pray, and they would turn the direction of God. God had sent... I don't think God was playing with this guy. I think God had every, every intention of this was it for him. <coughs> See ya. Go tell him to get ready. He's going to die. Now he's playing games with this guy, and this guy calls out to God. He cries out to God, and he's got a pure heart before God, and guy goes okay fifteen more years you know now I think there are some things that are absolutely the divine order of God and there's some things you're not going to be able to change one way or the other for example you're not going to be able to pray that the antichrist doesn't show up you know what I'm saying you can't pray and say Lord you know we're doing okay don't come you know don't come back you know you know I, I got investments I'm waiting for them to pay off you know just you know I mean you're not going to change stuff like that. there are there are Major divine elements of God And God has always had this going on the whole time Major stuff that's going to happen Uh, The Messiah was going to come when the Messiah came And he wasn't waiting for anybody to pray about it one way or the other Do you know what I'm talking about? But that's not everything In the midst of this divine ordered plan that God has There's a lot of gray area where you can get in And ask God to get involved in your life And the people around you And you can literally direct the hand of God and change at times the very course of history itself. I mean, look at how many times uh, when God uh, brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, these people were just a nightmare. We study this, right? They were just horrid. These people. They would be following God one minute, and the next minute they're complaining and whining. And you know, if I was God, I'd kill them all. You know what I'm saying? But God wanted to at one point. He'd had it with them, and he told Moses, he says, "Look." get out of the way, let me just kill them all we'll start over it's a do over right do you think God was playing, I don't think he was playing God is God, he's not like Marky you know just rambling like an idiot, you know, God is God and when he says something he means it. and I think he really wanted and I again if I was God I would have killed them all too I would have even checked with Moses just, uh, Moses look over there I don't know what happened, look at them all do over, do over And so he intended to just wipe them because they were such a mess and Moses cries out to God and intercedes for the people and God changes his mind. I know it kind of messes with people's thinking of God and stuff like that, but you just have to understand that that is the power. God is so, let me put it this way, God is so open to your suggestions you have no idea. Does that make any sense? You know it's like when you work for a boss or something like that who's an incomparable jerk. And if you work for me, don't raise your hand. But uh, just just an incomparable jerk. And they don't listen to anybody. And then you can reason with them and you can show them why, you know, if we did this, it would be better. He doesn't care. But then you work for guys who are totally open to input. They're still the boss. It's still their company. But they're really open to input. And they ask for input. Because a lot of times they realize people will see things and stuff like that. You have to understand, God's more like that. It's not that God doesn't know what He's doing. He absolutely knows what He's doing. But He loves you. I don't know why, but He does. And and He's open to input from you. It's it's almost as if God is saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. We get these general principles, okay, down. We're looking at all this stuff. And then He's kind of looking and saying, what do you think? What should we do next? How should we proceed next? What do you think? You know, but we don't get that. Everybody's just waiting for just this divine will of God to tell them, you know, just like we're a bunch of robots. Remember, God is really into free will here. He wants to hear from you. He wants input from you. Now, he's not going to do stuff contrary to his own purpose and plan. We understand that. But uh, you know, this is where John wrote in in the uh, in, uh, First you know, John fifth chapter, whatever he says. He says this is how we know that we're praying the right prayers because God answers the prayers. You know, if you're praying and praying and praying like James says, you're praying and you praying, nothing happens. And he said people were saying, how come I'm praying and praying, nothing happens? He says because you're praying just for your own lusts. You know, God bless me. God help me win the lottery. God help me do good. God make my wife not such an old witch. God help my husband not to be a jerk. God help me to, yeah, I want a better parking spot. You know. This is not effective prayer! Are you hearing me? You know what effective prayer is? Rather than God change my husband, God change me. Ooh, not a very popular prayer. So if God change my wife, God change me. God help me to get this right. Lord help me to give. How can I give? How can I work? How can I be more generous financially myself? Instead of how can I win the lottery? You know what I'm saying, if you pray the right kind of prayers and let, and let God know that man, you are into this and you want to do it the right way, and He's open to God. It would be great if you could do this or touch this person's heart or whatever like that. That's when you start getting excited about prayer because you start realizing, wow, what I pray makes a difference to God. Why? I don't know. It just does. He loves you that much. Uh, God is not glorified by just having a bunch of robots doing what He wants to do. And I think that's the message we get sometimes when you listen to people talk about uh, the will of God in the Christian community. And God's just going to do what he's going to do, and you just have to obey, and, just, and it's all about obedience, obedience, obedience. And I get that, that I think they've swung way too far over that. God isn't glorified just by having a bunch of robots uh, just doing what he says every five seconds. You know, I don't think God cares which way you go to work in the morning. I don't think he cares if you wear green socks or blue socks. You might care if you wear one green and one blue. I don't know. But I don't think he cares. You know, people praying and trying to have revelations about the little tiny details of their lives. They're over-spiritualizing everything. Chill out a little bit. I got to tell you, and I use this analogy many, many times. My son who's leading worship up here, you know, when he was a young boy, we had to tell him to do everything. Phil, get out of bed. Phil, did you change your underwear? Phil, did you brush your teeth? Did you go poop today, Phil? You know what I'm saying? When there's, you know, two years, three years, four years, right? These are conversations you have. But when he's 30-some, that's not a good conversation to have anymore. I don't say, Phil, did you poop today? You know, what I mean, I, I don't want to do that. At some point, you grow up. At some time, you mature. The greatest glory to me is when he gets out of bed and he comes to work and he prepares for the services and he comes in and he does what he's supposed to do and he, I didn't have to tell him every five seconds what to do. Does that make any sense to anybody? Why we get this picture that the version of Christianity that we teach, it would be like my son calling me up this morning and saying, Hey, hey, Dad. Yeah? Should I go to work today? Well, yeah. Okay. Which way should I go? <laughs> I don't care. What, what song should we sing tonight? I don't care. What, you know, this—if if he had to just every little moment, yeah. Dad, what do you think I should do? Dad, what should... why do we think that that version of Christianity glorifies God? Lord, what should I do every five seconds? Lord, blah, blah, blah. You know, now you pray God to lead and direct you. I get it. He works for me. Dad, what do you think we should do overall? I think we should have these kind of services. I like these kind of songs. These kind of songs I hate, you know, so he basically, you know, I'm able to speak into his life, but it's not like every puking little thing. But yet you get the pictures from some people that this is how we serve God. Lord, what should I do next? And what should I do this? And da, da, da. And I, I just, I don't know. It's just me. I don't think God gets glorified in that. I think when God gets glorified is when we live by the principles that he's taught us in his word and by his spirit. And we go out there and we live a successful life. And we pray and say, God, do this. Lord, it would be great if you could do this. Lord, this is the person I've been talking to. God, get a hold of their heart. Lord, shake them up. Do whatever you got to do. And I think God gets into that kind of stuff and he starts moving in people's lives. And that's what we see here in this thing with Isaiah. I really rambled a long time on that. Let me wrap this up. Um, so, he's going to add, you know, fifty more years. Da, da, da. Verse 7, then Isaiah says to the guys, well, prepare a pole a poultice of figs is like a you know kind of a little pattern thing of figs and uh and and put it uh and and then they did so and they applied it to the boil that's what we found out that there was a boil and he recovered why he told him to do a fig thing i have no idea if you knew the figs would fix him, why when you working with figs i don't know you know maybe god told him to. Do that. it doesn't say i have no idea why they do some of these things in the old, in the old testament but anyway so they put this on there and then he does recover Uh, and then he backs up a little bit here because they get out of order a lot of times in the Old Testament, part of the confusion. Isaiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple on the third day from now? And now this is just an amazing story. Think of this. Isaiah answered this. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or shall it go back 10 steps? Okay, now this, this is a pretty amazing thing. He wants a sign. Now, again, Old Testament people, we don't go around asking God for signs and stuff all the time. Not an appropriate New Testament concept. But their idea and understanding of God was pretty limited. So, um, you know, he says, you're going to live. And Hezekiah Hezekiah says, what will be the sign that I live? My answer would be, you won't die. That's your sign, you idiot. Why do you know? what? (laughs) But he wanted a sign. I don't know. You know, Isaiah was nicer than me. So, he says, okay, I'll give you a sign. God will give you a sign. Uh, would you like to see the, the, the uh, how did you word it? The shadow go forward 10 steps or back 10 steps. What he's literally saying is on the steps of the, uh, uh, you know, of the uh, king, the palace or whatever else like that. This is where you can see the position of the sun. It's basically the shadows as, as it comes down. You know, da da You can see what basically hour it was. It was kind of the version of a you know, watch. Their watches hadn't evolved yet. But anyway, um, Sunday morning if you were here. But anyway, they they were waiting. That's how they would be able to tell the direction of the sun. So what Isaiah is saying is, um, do you want God to move the sun forward or backward? Pretty intense sign. You know, now, to people who are very, very scientific and they got to have proof and understanding everything, this really messes with them. This is one of the stories in the Old Testament that, you know, academics and stuff just couldn't have possibly happened couldn't have possibly happened yes it could because he's God and God can do anything he wants people say how could God create the world in six days I don't know I'm thinking what took him so long (laughs) he's God he can do anything he wants right I don't see how could happen so he says I'll give you a sign Do do you want time to move forward or backwards is what he said and Hezekiah says well it's a simple matter For the shadow to go forward 10 steps, really, you try it. But he says, that's easy. He says, rather have it go back 10 steps. So time is always moving forward. So Hezekiah said, well, God's kind of used to that anyway. Make it go back. And then the prophet Isaiah called upon the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back 10 steps as it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. Now, I don't know what... Uh, amount of time this is, uh, some people think uh, it represented an hour, some meant half a day, I don't know what it is, all I know is, ooh, all I know is that the sun rolls back, so the rotation of the earth actually shifts, you say, how is that possible? He's God, he can do anything he wants, you would think by now God can split seas and, you know, Armies drop over dead overnight. I mean, he can do anything. Nothing is impossible to God. And this is like one of the major things. Somehow, somewhere in the... Uh, um, uh, when this happened 4,000 years ago or whatever, like, the time actually went back and, and they watched it. And all of a sudden, instead of time moving forward, all of a sudden it went... Yee. Wow. I mean, that breaks every conceivable law of physics known to man. God really doesn't care. Okay, God made the laws. When you make the laws of physics, you can do whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? So that, I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. I heard a story once. I don't know that it's true because we hear all kinds of crazy things. But uh, I heard some uh, from some study that they did at some university, or something like that. Because, you know, time is very, very predictable about when... The tides come in, and so, you know, they can tell you exactly what time the sun will rise a year from today, you know. I mean, it's all down. Everything's extreme, da 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 And they went back and analyzed this from, you know, however, thousands of years, and apparently uh, there is a discrepancy. There's a discrepancy I mean again, I don't know if that's true or not, but I was reading and I thought, well, that's pretty cool because they were basically saying uh, that this, it, we're off of you know either an hour or a few hours or something based on whatever and uh, I was re- uh, reading this article, and this guy was talking about this story, and they just you know i just everybody just kind of smiled and thought, what a great way for God to mess with people's heads <laughs> you know well there's a discrepancy how could that possibly be it's, it's like we're missing a few hours just because <laughs> <laughs> God would you know, just for Isaiah, or for Isaiah in the sky, uh, Hezekiah, pretty wild stuff. So anyway, uh, next week we'll pick, no, next week, Fine Arts, Fine Arts Festival, doesn't affect you guys, but um, the next time we get together, we'll pick it up from here, and we will see what happens, uh, what, what, we're getting up to the end here, there's just a couple of more kings left, and, uh, and then uh, God sends uh, the Babylon, Babylonian empire in, and they Jerusalem falls and they're all taken into captivity and we will explain at that point some of the other major events in the Bible so you can kind of understand we're not going to go through it it all but it'll kind of give a picture of a lot of these things in the Old Testament and what they were about and kind of what what, what made sense um, during this time when they went into Babylonian captivity and then they came back all as a a punishment uh, for their sin apparently it was a pretty effective punishment because by the time they came back from that you see how they kept over and over again kept falling into idols and idols and idols. And after that serious butt kicking, they didn't have that problem anymore. You know. Now, you would have thought they would just learn firsthand and just do it right in the first place, but they were so stubborn and so hard of hearing, spiritually speaking, uh, and uh, things get really bad. There's a king coming after this one, Manasseh, who is wicked like, which do you see some of the stuff this guy did. It's really, really bad. And it's this stuff that finally God says, okay, I've had it. And uh, Isaiah, or Israel, the northern kingdom, has already been taken into captivity. Now the southern kingdom will also be taken into captivity. Uh, and uh, before God brings them back again, and then they then they finally got it straight. So it was just serious uh, punishment from God. We'll take a look at that. It's got some very interesting, fascinating things about that. So we'll pick that up next time we get together. Hallelujah.